Genesis chapter 4. If you would join me in Genesis chapter 4. We don't know, do we? We're not promised today. We're not promised tomorrow. Every breath that we breathe is a gift from the Lord. Sometimes things occur and you wonder, all right, Lord, what are you doing? Really? A message on Cain and Abel this morning? After all that, God is sovereign. And I believe the word that he has for us today may be all the more um, keenly received with the backdrop of um, what we've heard and what's capturing our hearts and what might be flooding through your minds and what is it? What is the Lord asking of us? What does he have? Surrender. At the core of who we are, at the core of what God's created you to be, what ought to have been has been corrupted by the fall. We learned of it last week. What stands in its place, but a will, a self-will, a desire that all of us have to be what we want to be and to do what we want to do. I'm curious this morning, how prepared are you to worship the Lord? How prepared did you come this morning to worship the Lord? A.W. Tozer once said, the best preparation for worship is not a rehearsal, but surrender. The greatest preparation for worship is not a rehearsal, but it's surrender. And so again, I ask, how prepared are you in worshiping today? We think of all the ways that we prepare ourselves for a Sunday morning. We go to bed, we set our alarms, we get up early, we wake up the kids, we shove down some breakfast. We hop in the car, we try to obey as many traffic laws as possible on our way here, thus we won't be in a deficit when we arrive. But does surrender make the list? Lord, I'm here for you. I'm here for only you. Lord, I'm here for your presence, for your word. I want your will to be done. On a scale of I'm completely like sold out, surrendered, like here I am, Lord, take me, I'm prepared, I've come with a clean heart, which I've sung this morning, to be worshipped unto you, Lord, Lord, help me. So I'm fully surrendered to know I'm stuck in my own self-centered plan. I'd be curious to know where our, should we leave it rhetorical today? Probably, 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 yeah, me too. You know, if surrender is difficult for you, you're not alone. If surrender is difficult for you, you're not alone. D.L. Moody said this, the world has yet to see what God can do with a person who is fully consecrated or otherwise surrendered unto him. The world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated or surrendered unto him. And this morning, I'm actually inclined to ask this question. Do I even believe that it's possible? Look into your heart this morning. Do you believe that it is possible to be fully surrendered, fully consecrated unto the Lord? Come on, ask, ask yourself that question and answer it honestly if you dare. I suspect that you don't. That's why you leave the door always cracked and why we give ourselves an excuse for why we sin regularly. Moody apparently believed that it was possible. He said this. He finished his quote. The world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated, surrendered unto him. And he said, by God's help, I aim to be that man. You in? You ready to join with Moody? You ready to ask the Lord, Lord, would, it, would you make it me? Would you give me the strength this morning? Would you help me live the rest of my days, whatever breath I have left, to be solely consecrated and surrendered unto you? Have you stopped to ask yourself why surrender is so difficult? I mean, for me personally, I think it's pretty simple. I like to win. Anybody like to win in this room? Come on, raise your hand if you like to win. 
Now keep your hand up if you hate to lose, okay? Maybe like, I don't really care about winning. It's the losing thing that I hate. So both of us put our hands up. We don't like this. I hate to lose. And apparently I'm raising four boys who are like me. All right, I got one. I got one when he loses. He completely, he completely shuts down. He's my perfectionist. I got another one when he loses. He gets, com- he gets angry. Like he can't watch. Like if the first play of the football game is an incomplete pass, like he walks out of the room. Like that's where he's at. He's my little controller. I got my perfectionist who shuts down, my angry one who wants to control the outcome. I got the one who wails in tears when it looks like he's about to lose. My word, he is my life is not fair, young man. And my youngest, my youngest, number four, Joshua, he has never lost. Ask him. (laughs) If the score is showing something different, you must have cheated. We're playing a different game. That's not how it works. I came home the other day, and he was, he was running a little like, um, uh, what is that, what is that, um, what is the, Candyland, right? Is it can, can, uh, shoots and Ladders is, can, shoots and ladders is out. It's Candyland now, right? It's Candyland. He was running a little tournament in the house. There's no cash involved. I checked that out, but he was, he was, he was working the room. You know what I mean? I had one, I had one, I had one older brother off in, in silence. I had another one angry and pouting in the corner. I had one in tears, and Joshua going, yes! That was until last night that he played his mom. <laughs> you, you think I don't like to lose? <laughs> Mama ain't never lost, and that's a fact. <laughs> that little boy was in tears last night. He finally found that little man's surrender bone. <laughs> Surrender's hard, why? Because we all want to win, and we all want things the way that we want them. Even if you're sitting here like, I don't care about winning. Yeah, but you want things the way you want them, right? Well, then let me ask you, if you like to win, if you like things the way that you want them, let me ask you this. Do you believe God's going to win? Do you believe God wins? Do you believe in the end God wins? Say yes. yes. If you believe God wins in the end, if you believe that his will and his will alone is ultimately going to be done, if you believe that when all is said and done, that he's going to be the one on the throne, he's going to be in charge, he's the one going to be ruling and reigning, and remind me, remind me, you like to win, right? And you believe that in the end, God's going to win. Check this. You probably want to make sure then that you're on the winning team now. But what is counterintuitive is what? In order to get there, you got to surrender. You see, victory can only be experienced ultimately by those who are on the winning team. We come on that winning team by surrender. It's counterintuitive. Surrendering to the victor bowing our knee to the king, surrendering to our will, to the will of God. Charles Spurgeon said this, when your will becomes God's will, you then will have your will. (laughs) When your will becomes God's will, bank it, you'll have your will. So once again, why is surrender so hard? Genesis chapter (laughs) 3. Why is surrender so hard? Because sin has entered the world. Why is sin, why is surrender so hard? We learned it last week. Original sin. The sin of Adam and Eve is now our sin. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 makes it abundantly clear. Sin came into the world through one man and now death reigns through sin. And so death has spread to all men and women, all of us, because we have all sinned. As we come to Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel, what are we going to see? We're going to see, we're going to see how sin was passed on from one generation to the next. By God's grace, we're going to see how, though, through the power of the Lord, we are able to surrender. It is possible to surrender to the Lord. It is possible. It is possible. Just say it's possible. Say it's possible. It is possible to surrender to the Lord. Shut the door. But we're also going to see today the consequence and the destruction that results from those who don't fully surrender to God. Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel. Even those who aren't near church know the story of Cain and Abel. The question we're answering today is what now? Last week, what went wrong? Now we say, what now? What now? What do we do now? Surrender. That's the answer. 
You see here in Genesis chapter 4, the big idea is this, the echoes of consequence following sin, the echoes of consequence remind us of our need to surrender. The big idea today is the consequences that follow sin reminds us of our need to surrender. And the key to victory over our sin now, the sin to come, surrender. Surrender to Jesus, surrender to the work of Jesus, surrender to the call of Jesus, surrender to the gracious gift of Jesus, surrender to the gospel of Jesus. And that's exactly the exact opposite of what Cain does throughout this entire text. Genesis chapter 4, let's pick it up. Genesis was written by, tell me who, tell me who wrote Genesis again, 1, 2, 3, tell me. Moses. Moses, who was he writing to? Israel. What's the context? Let me catch you up if you're brand new. The first five books of the Bible are called the Pentateuch. They were written by Moses while God's people had already experienced the exodus of, after 430 years of Egyptian captivity. They've gone through the Red Sea. They've wandered in the wilderness now. And in the midst of their wandering, God moves in Moses to write these first five books of the Bible, forming then a nation. Would have received the Ten Commandments and the instructions of the Lord. And now God has promised them that they will enter into his promised land. And now what is Moses doing? God is moving in him to reorient them, to ground their feet, to give them a foundation that the same God that created the heaven and the earth, created this land, he's given it to you. The same God who placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden is going to place you there. The same gracious God that forgave Adam and Eve is going to be the same God who is going to forgive you as you enter even in your failure as well and now this the same god who calls Cain to surrender is the same god who's calling you to do the same and so the text and so the text genesis chapter 4 the consequence of sin echoes our need to surrender. If you want victory over sin, here's the first thing. You want victory over sin, you want to continue to live in victory over sin, then this, surrender our hearts and worship. It's going to mean we surrender our hearts and worship regularly, continually, always. You want victory over sin, you want to victory over sin, surrender. Surrender what? Heart. Always heart. Always been heart. Always will be heart. Your actions flow from your heart. Check out the text. As we come to it, think about where we've been. Now, Adam and Eve, could they have been any lower at this point? Walked with God, talked with God. You talk about consequences. Eden is but an echo in Adam and Eve's mind at this point. They've gone from the presence of God to hiding from God, from tending to a perfect garden to thorns and thistles disrupting. They've gone from enjoying and naming the animals to now scaring them off. From having a perfect marriage to now being filled with pressure and conflict. Yet, right? Yet God. They've received the cultural mandate to be fruitful and multiply, but now pain and childbirth awaits, and yet even still, how gracious is our God. Look at verse 1. And now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived, and she bore Cain. On full display, right out of the gate, is the graciousness of God. This word knew. Come on, Bible student, you know what this word knew means. Here God reminds us that he's preserved the delight of physical intimacy and the joy of conception that is the result in marriage. Intimacy was intended for pleasure, and here God allows for them to experience it still despite their sin and despite the fall. And in so doing, Eve conceives, and she bore Cain. Can you imagine? I was in the delivery room for two of my sons. Ladies, I don't, I, I, no words. 
Not making that mistake. <laughs> you know, us men, we feel like heroes just for being there. You know what I mean? I'm not saying anything else. Remember when Robin was carrying Titus and and one of the lights of that season was listening to Robin talk with her mom. First child, you know. What to expect and here's what you we want to make sure you have packed and kind of have a bag ready. You, You never know and you know, when you get there, these are the things you probably want to expect to have happen and sisters chiming in. This is what could go right. This is what could go wrong during, during the delivery. This is, this is what you would expect to do after. Here's some, here's some things about nursing that were, that were difficult for me and maybe they would work for you. And you, you, you can hear the conversations, can't you? You can hear the conversations. Could you imagine? Can you imagine Eve now? Like, there's no midwife. There's no, there's no hospital. There's just Adam. Why are you laughing, the poor guy? He didn't know either. Adam and a whole lot of unknowns. And here you have this incredible, gracious moment where all of a sudden with all that Eve has been through leading up to this moment, still she's, she's experienced the delight of physical intimacy, Adam and Eve with one another. And now this marvel, this miraculous wonder of conceiving and, and carrying another human being inside of her body. And now she's going to experience the, the birth which has never been done before. And all the while, what happens? She's holding the baby and look at what she says, the optimism, the joy that you can hear in her voice as she says these next words, and I have gotten a man. Don't miss this. With the help of the Lord. (laughs) After all she's done, what, is that? what does he recognize? God's grace. God's grace. God's grace covering over us. God is still with, and, and God is overseeing, and, and God is helping us through, and, and God has provided, and, and here, God, what has God done? He's given us a man. And as she's holding him in her arms, I could imagine her like counting his fingers, right? And as she's one, two, three, as she looks this little man in the eye, is she thinking about Genesis 3.15? Is she thinking about God's promise? One is going to come from you. One is going to come from you, Eve. One's going to come from you who's going to crush the head of the serpent. Was she looking at him and thinking, here it is. God has said, God said, and God's going to do it. And here we have our firstborn, and certainly Cain. The name Cain means to get. God has given, and we have gotten, and now God is going to fulfill his promise. Yes, enmity is going to be between uh, the serpent and the woman. Yes, between her offspring and his. But man, we're going to bruise his heel for sure, but the crushing of the head is coming. Oh, but little does she know. Verse 2, and again, she bore his brother Abel. So fascinating to me, his brother Abel. Almost in a way drawing attention to the fact that Cain was the firstborn. Now Abel being introduced as his brother. Abel. Brief 
breath. That's what the name Abel means. Some believe that perhaps because there's no break in the narrative that maybe Cain and Abel were twins. We have no idea either way. They were close in age, and Cain was born first. Cain was born first. Cain was born first of the Adamic line. And as this text unfolds, the the full attention of the narrative is now going to be on these two guys. But what also is obvious, as the narrative unfolds, it should answer a lot of questions for you. Cain and Abel were the first, were the first, were the first of many, 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 many. Say many. Many Many children that Adam and Eve had. They didn't wait till these two got grown up and then had some more. Let's just say they were very faithful to God's command to be fruitful and multiply. Follow? But the focus now is on these two guys. What do we know? We know nothing about their childhoods. We know nothing about their upbringing, although we can maybe see some things here in the text. It seems as if Adam and Eve taught them some things because look at verse 3. Actually, verse 2, and she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was the keeper of sheep. He became a shepherd. And Cain, Cain was a worker of the ground. Adam had dominion over the beasts of the field. And so in one respect, you could say Abel followed in dad's footsteps to be a shepherd and a tender of animals. Cain, on the other hand, he was a worker of the ground. He became a farmer. Now this, verse 3. Either way, by the way, both professions are good. Both professions would have been learned from their father. Mom and dad had good reason to be proud of both boys. But now in the course of time. Verse 3, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought the first, the, of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his, he had no regard. Uh-oh! Enter conflict. Cain, what does he bring? Well, he brings something in accordance with his work. He brings an offering from the ground. That makes complete sense to me. What does Abel do? He brings an offering to the Lord that's in in accordance with his work. And what does he do? He brings a sacrifice, a fatted portion. Like, that makes sense to me too. And so whatever harmony, though, was happening in the home, whatever harmony was happening amongst the brothers, it is about to fall through the floor. Why? Why? Why does God accept one offering and not the other? If you've been around Bible world any length of time, you've received all kinds of thoughts about this. Why? Why God? Why? Why? Why Abel and not Cain? Well, commentators have debated this for centuries. Follow with me on this. Some say it has to do with the priority of their vocations, that being a shepherd is kind of spoken of more highly in other places in the scripture, so it must be their vocations. Was, one was a priority of vocations, farmer, uh, farmer under shepherd. Others say, no, it's because of blood sacrifices is the greater offering. Blood sacrifices are greater than harvest offerings. That, that for sure. How many have heard that? How many have heard that? Probably a lot of you have heard that for sure. Others tie it back to the animal that was killed when Adam and Eve received their garments to cover over. Remember the fig leaves, right? Some, some tie it back to that and say, well, the Lord must have instructed them in some way. And there's probably something they're not obeying here. Going back to Genesis 3. The problem is, do you see any of that in the text? None of that is in the text, but there are some things that are abundantly clear in this passage of Scripture. You see, the problem here is, listen, listen, for sure it wasn't the occupations because one occupation wasn't better than the other. And while the Scripture says that without the shedding, shedding of blood, there was no remission of sin, the reality is both types of offering had a purpose all throughout the Old Testament law. There's no evidence in this particular passage that one offering ought to have been regarded as greater than the other. As a matter of fact, hear this. Both types of offerings were prescribed by Moses in the Pentateuch as the law unfolds in the later books. You got your thinking caps on? You're still taking your notes? Your pens are moving? Watch, watch. Leviticus chapter 2. Leviticus chapter 2, Moses deals with the burnt offerings, and then he deals with the grain offerings. But check this. In Deuteronomy chapter 26, right before they enter into the promised land, 
Moses actually deals with the grain offerings first in that passage and then the blood offerings. And so now you're like, why in the world then? What are the reasons? Context, context, context. Why was Cain a no and why was Abel a yes? Context. Warren Wearsby says this. Cain wasn't rejected because of his offering, but his offering was rejected because of Cain. Let me say it again. Cain wasn't rejected because of his offering. Cain's offering was rejected because of Cain. His heart wasn't right with God. Look at verse 3. Look at the context. Look at, look at what they actually brought. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord what? He brought an offering. What kind of offering? Fruit of the ground. He brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. At first glance, all right. Look at verse 4, though. And Abel also brought of the, of the flock. He brought, a, he brought an offering from the flock. But what kind of offering did he bring? What kind of member of the flock does he bring? Does, does your Bible say what mine says? Does yours say firstborn? He brings a firstborn of the flock. What else did he bring? And, and of their fatted portion. Cain brought an offering from the fruit of the ground, and what you see here is that he did his duty. Cain does his duty. Okay, Lord, do you want something from me? I'll, I'll, bring, I'll bring something for you. This is my duty, but what does, what does Abel do? Abel brings the first. Abel brings the best. Abel brings the fatted portion, which is regarded as the better portion. And so what is he doing? You get an evidence here that Cain is performing a duty while Abel, we have good reason to believe because the New Testament tells us so, he was worshiping out of a heart of delight. God has concern about the heart of the worshiper over the offering that is brought. You got that, right? You see, Abel gave in faith and it was evidenced by him bringing his best. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. Listen, listen. The author of Hebrews commends Abel. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts and through faith, though he died because he was righteous, though his life was brief, he still speaks. What is clear here? It is abundantly clear that God is more interested in the giver than he is in the gift. God is more interested in the giver than he is in the gift. But make no mistake, the gift does indeed reveal the integrity of the giver. Follow? God is more concerned about the giver than he is the gift, but that does not leave you off the hook to hide because your gift indeed does reveal the integrity of this. See it? Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, and Samuel says this, has the, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offering and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Nope. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than that of fat of rams. The skimpiness of Cain's offering reveals the selfishness of his heart. The skimpiness of his offering reveals the selfishness of his heart. Hear it. The skimpiness of Cain's offering reveals the selfishness of his heart. Sadly, though, hear me, friends, even if Cain had brought an animal... Even if Cain had brought an animal sacrifice as a sin offering, it still would not have been accepted. Why? Because the state of Cain's heart was dark. How do we know? Verse 5. But for Cain and his offering, God had no regard. So what happens? Cain becomes very angry. Cain becomes very angry and his face falls. You been there? Come on. Trying to hide it, but you can't, it's just all over your face. Like scowl, frown, cheeks are starting to get red. What's wrong with you? Nothing. What's wrong with Nothing. Yeah, 
He wore his heart on his face. He wore his heart on his face. He wore his heart on his face. And pretty soon he's about to reveal his heart with his words. Come on, friends, do you see it? The best preparation for worship is not a rehearsal. The best preparation for worship is surrender. And here Cain blows it. There's no surrender. Abel fully surrendered, lives, gives his best to the Lord. And God delights in his offering. From the beginning, God has desired our hearts. True faith, true forgiveness, true worship is a matter of the heart. But in pride, Cain went through the motions. He rehearsed his offering. He sinned against God, which brings us to the next point. Cain has sinned. We all know Cain for what we would consider to be a greater sin. But make no mistake, Cain sinned out the gate. And what's he supposed to do? Surrender his pride and repentance, point two. What does he need to do? Surrender his pride and repentance. Surrender his pride and repentance. Despite Cain's sin and pride, look at God's response. My word The book of Genesis, oh, what failure, but oh, what a gracious God. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why do you have that look on your face? Why is your face fallen? Watch this. Watch the Lord. Oh, my word, how many times has the Lord done this for you? You know if you do well, You know, if you do well, will you not be accepted? You think it's over? You think because I rejected one offering, like you're done? Like, don't you know? Don't you know if you do well? Don't you know if you repent? Don't you know if you make it right? Don't you know this isn't permanent rejection? Like, don't you know? Cain... Cain, really? You mess up and you're going to throw it all away? Somebody needs to hear this today. Really? You did it again and now you're just going to be permanently done? Really? Cain, don't you know? Don't you know that if you do the right thing, don't you know if you surrender your pride right now, don't you know, don't you know that you will be accepted? The word accepted. Your countenance will be lifted up. Why? Because you'll be received by the Lord. He literally talks to him in a sense, almost like a small, young, like a father would speak to a small, young child. Do you not know? Literally, the translation goes like this. Do you not know that you have the power to take your frown and turn it upside down? Don't you know if you do well, you have the power to brighten your own, con- your own countenance? How amazing is this? How gracious is our God? He gives him the utmost gracious redirect and warning possible, like a father to a son. Are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure you want to touch that? Are you sure you want to go this way? Hear me, the bridge is out. I suggest you go take a time out and think about this. God's gracious, but he doesn't, God's gracious, but at the same time, God's not messing around. God's gracious, but at the same time, he's not messing around. You, you, you met that part of God too? God's gracious, but he's not messing around. He goes on to say, but listen, listen, and if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. If you don't do well, sin is crouching at your door. Sin, sin, sin. What is crouching at his door? Say Sin. The danger now is within Cain. Cain is his own problem. Cain's pride is what is crouching at the door. Cain's sin. Cain's own sin. Cain's own sin nature. Cain's own pride at this moment. Let's not blame the devil yet. His own sin is crouching at his door. Because repentance is first taking responsibility for our own actions, not blaming somebody else, including the devil. 
but here still the Lord is giving him a chance to repent before he does the unthinkable. Just surrender your pride and repent, Cain. Surrender your pride and repent. Remember the slide of temptation that Adam and Eve took? Remember the, remember the slide of temptation, remember? 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, remember this verse, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of your eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the, the world. Do you not see that happening right now? I want it my way, and I believe, and I'm the first. Remember the core of the original transgression and sin that was committed when they partook of the tree? Remember what it was? It was the desire to become wise apart from God and his word. Remember that? That was the original transgression. There wasn't evil running through the tree. The tree gave them the opportunity to participate in evil. And the original sin was this. We have a shot. We have a chance to gain wisdom and knowledge and autonomy apart from God and his word. And that is exactly what they passed on to Cain. But yet you have Abel. Who's delighting in the presence of the Lord and bringing his offering. It's possible, friends. But is this not exactly what Cain is doing now? Think about our world today. Think about this. He is the firstborn, the oldest of all the siblings. It's likely that Cain has been first a lot. And now, hear what? And now he's taking second place to his younger brother. He's full of pride. He's becoming wise in his own eyes. There is a clear error of entitlement to Cain and his words. And he's going to do what he wants. He's going to do it his way. And now you have God telling him no. And he has a breakdown. He implodes. He throws a temper tantrum. His heart fills with pride. He's filled with anger now. Hatred builds up and it gives way to bitterness. Oh, friends, be careful of harboring grudges and unforgiveness. Ephesians chapter four tells us what comes next. Ephesians chapter four, verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Why? Give no opportunity to whom? The devil. Now we can start talking about him. You see, once the door is open, once a foothold is established, the results are devastating. John chapter 1, verse 14. The Lord tells us what happens once the devil is given a foothold. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires first. But then the desire, when it's conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, what does it do? It brings forth death. Anger turns to hatred, hatred turns to bitterness, and now bitterness grows to full envy, and Cain is essentially saying this, fine, if I can't be first, neither are you. If I'm not receiving God's blessing, neither are you. If I can't have it, you won't have it either. It's not enough for me to have my convictions, you're going to hold my convictions too. Or you don't deserve to live. And so verse 8. <laughs> and Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel, and he killed him. The brevity is chilling. The brevity of this verse is chilling. That's it. Like what's happened here? The firstborn baby who Eve looked into the eyes with great joy and gladness, the one who she likely hoped would fulfill the promise, the one who she probably prayed, most earnestly desired would be the one who would crush the head of the serpent, has now gone the way of the serpent. Friends, can you just take a moment and place yourself in this text and consider the context of where Adam and Eve are at in this moment? What are they feeling? What's going on in their minds? The scripture gives us warning along with a window into Cain's heart. 
I'm not overstating the fact that he's gone the way of the serpent. 1 John chapter 3, verse 12. We should not be like Cain, who is of the evil one, the devil. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, who murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because of his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. And so the battle begins. The way of the serpent. And the way of the Savior. And what's the answer? Surrender. Lord, have mercy. Point three. Do you want to have victory over sin? Oh, what can we learn from this horrible account? Oh, Lord, have mercy. Lord, give me a heart to fully worship you. Help me surrender and be fully worshiped. Worship you, oh God, please give me the power to surrender my pride and remain in a place of repentance. And oh Lord God, in spite of my sin, would you please, would you please, Lord God, give me the strength to surrender my guilt that I may receive your mercy. And that is exactly what Cain does not do. Verse nine, and the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? Where is Abel, your brother? And the fact that God even asked him a question once again blows my mind. You all know the answer. You've heard it many, many times. Be careful repeating this, even in jest. Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? I don't know. I don't know. What? You implying something? I don't know. Liar. Like your father. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? You do understand, right? Abel's a shepherd. Abel's a keeper of sheep. The dude's being sarcastic. He's speaking in the way of the serpent. He's acting in the way of the serpent. What? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Are you kidding me? Friends, do you see this? These words, they now slither coldly off of Cain's lips. Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and here, what is, what is Cain doing? He's striking back with the sarcasm of the serpent. He murders, he lies, and without even a hint of remorse, let alone repentance, here he stands. And John chapter 8, verse 44, tells of the tale. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do as your father desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. And because there is no truth in him, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And the Lord says, what have you done? Cain, what have you done? Even here, Cain could have spoken up and said, this is what I've done. Cain, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. Leviticus chapter 17 reminds us that life is in the blood and the life of, of course, comes from the Lord. Thus, no life taken goes unnoticed nor unpunished by the Lord. That in and of itself is heavy. The Lord cursed the serpent, and now he's about to curse Cain. Verse 11, and now you are cursed. You are cursed from the ground which, was, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. Cain, you're going to be a fugitive. You're going to wander this earth. 
And Cain's response says it all. Cain's actions were born out of the deadness of his heart. Cain's response says it all. Cain never repents. Cain doesn't surrender. He doesn't admit his guilt. What does he do? Verse 13, this is unbelievable. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Really? You're breathing, bro. You talk about entitlement? You talk about me first? You talk about complete blindness, you kill your brother, you lip, you lip off to God, and now you have the gall to have a pity party for yourself? You're quite the brat, my friend. He expresses only regret for the repercussions of his own consequences. I can't work the ground anymore. I love doing that. Really? Your brother's in it. I'm going to be hidden from the presence of God. I know you rejected him when you had the chance. Really? I'm going to be a fugitive and a wanderer. I'm going to be estranged from my family. By the way, anybody who meets him here forward is going to be family, right? Surely they're going to avenge. They're going to avenge what I've done to my brother. Oh, oh my word, I'm going to be a vagabond. I'm going to be a wanderer running for my life all my days. Verse 15, the Lord says, no, you're not. No, you're not. Not so, exclamation point. Lord, what are you doing? Anybody else wrestle with this? Like, really, 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 God? Not so. Not so, you're going to live. You're going to live out the curse. You're going to stand as an example. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. You're going to live. You're going to live in an unrepentant, unbelieving state. As a common grace, you're going to breathe. As a common grace, I'm going to sustain your life. But don't confuse that with anything else. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord, and he settled in the land of Nod. Nod here means the land of wandering. Notice, notice, notice. He settles in the land of Nod. Look, look, look. East of Eden. We're just going a little bit further away, aren't we? From east to east, from dark to dark, from bad to worse, from evil to evil. And friends, here, what just blows my mind, what blows my mind, and maybe it's blowing yours too, why don't you please lean in on this particular thought, even though in this moment you may be feeling repulsed. For what we see hovering over this entire text indeed is the grace and the patience of the Lord. When Cain becomes wise in his own eyes and arrogantly brought a cheap offering to the Lord, still God is patient. When Cain was filled with anger, God spoke truth to him as a father would speak to a son, grace. When he was in danger of going the way of Satan, of sin crouching at his door, the Lord graciously warns him. God then called upon him to stand against the temptation of the sin tells him, you can. After the murder of Abel, still God comes to him. Still God comes to him. Reminiscent of chapter 3, when God comes into the garden, still here does God come to him and gives him the grace to answer him. This passage is bathed in grace, but you and I, we don't have a bucket to carry it. We just don't understand. 
God demonstrates patience and grace as he withholds Cain's self-absorbed pity party for himself. Even there, God doesn't zap him dead. What is happening here? And for some divine reason of providence, God decides in his grace, in his providence, to spare his life. And all the while, I'm saying, why? And to perplex things even more, Moses includes the line of Cain for the rest of the chapter. The same common grace that was afforded Adam and Eve is now afforded Cain and his wife. Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bore Enoch. Different than the one you'll hear about next week. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. And Enoch was, a, was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mehujiel, and Methushiel fathered Methushiel, Methushiel fathered Lamech. Verse 20, Adah bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents. Now, all of a sudden, what are we going to see? Now, even Cain's offspring are going to contribute to society in some way. Even still, the common grace of God being seen to those who come after. We don't have to go the way of our father, but nevertheless, they will go the way of the serpent, Jude chapter 11. Verse 21, his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of those who play the lyre and the pipe. Zilha also bore Tubal, Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. And here it almost seems like perhaps things are going to go for the better. Maybe this line is going to turn things around. But as I said, Jude 11 makes it abundantly clear they've gone the way of Cain, which we know indeed is the way of the serpent. And what happens? Things are going to go even from bad to worse. This man named Lamech, the seventh one in the line of Cain. You see what he does? Verse 19, Lamech took two wives. You wonder where Lamech? Where polygamy came on the scene, the line of Cain, the way of the serpent. It was not God's plan. But when offspring is power, we'll cheat. And he does. Verse 23, Lamech said to his wives with an S, check this. Adel and Zilhah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. More likely what I sing. Listen to my song. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. Do you hear that? My great, 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 great grandfather's got nothing on me. Killed a man for striking me and a young man for brushing by. You think he was bad? I'm the one you got to worry about. And again, Lord, why? 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 Why do you allow this? If you're anything like me, again, let me say it again, you're asking why. You are judging Cain. You are judging Lamech. You're questioning the wisdom of God. You're questioning the wisdom of God. We're all questioning the wisdom of God right now. Anyone? Anyone wondering? Anyone questioning, questioning that God should have done something else here? Do you remember the original sin? The original sin is believing that we have greater wisdom than God. And even this account, what does it do? It rises to the surface of my heart that that sin lives in me as well. Understand this, without surrender, I am no better than Cain and neither are you. Why does God allow this to take place? Because it stands as an eternal example of what exists inside and resides inside of all of our hearts. The truth of the gospel is without surrender, we are no better than Cain. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says this, but we were all dead in the trespasses of our sin in which we once walked. We were all following the course of this world, following the prince and the power of the air. We were all going the way of the serpent. Catch it. 
All of us wonder how we can be able when really what the Bible tells us is how we can stop being Cain. Surrender. We're all culpable of another innocent man's life. We're all culpable of another innocent man's life. That's the point. We're all culpable of another innocent man's life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, for our sake he made him who knew no sin to die in our place so that we might become the righteousness of God. You catch that? We've all, we all are culpable of another innocent man's life. Without surrender, you and I, we are no better than Cain. We all walk in our own wisdom. We all want it our way. We all think we know better. We all think we have a moral standing. But listen, listen, listen. Another innocent man died Jesus' blood was shed for you and me. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24. Come on, wait for your heart to explode. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that what? That speaks better than the blood of Abel. Jesus shed his blood. Abel's blood cries from the ground. Abel's blood cried from the ground, and yet it still cries. But Jesus Christ, the other innocent man, when he shed his blood, his blood now cries all the more, all the louder. It is crying to you, and it is crying to me. And what is it saying? You are guilty, but I have died for you. You have slain me, but you did. You could not, for I died in your place willingly. If you had the chance, you would have hung me there, which is why I chose to go myself. I am your Savior. Jesus' blood cries louder. Jesus' life wasn't taken from him. He really laid it down. Listen, Abel's blood cries out for vengeance while Jesus' blood covers over the sins that actually shed it. Abel's blood revealed the curse of sin while Jesus' blood reversed it. Can you hear that? It echoes. Abel's blood cries condemnation. Jesus' blood shouts forgiveness. Abel's blood rightly exiled a man. Jesus' blood says, all who are guilty come. Friends, God has a plan. God has a plan. Even when it doesn't make sense to us, God has a plan. In eternity, we're going to see God's plan. In eternity, it's going to all make sense. God has a plan. God has a plan. God, God always has a plan. Even in the midst of your wretchedness and your sin, God's working out a plan. That which is meant for evil, God's ultimately going to use for good. Our God has a providential plan. Do you believe God has a plan? Do you believe this passage ends? This passage ends, though, with a glimpse of hope and a peek at God's glorious plan. What, whatever emotion you might be feeling, consider the emotions. What breaks my heart, again, is to come back and consider the emotions of Adam and Eve. You imagine the guilt that they're feeling? You imagine the pain Really? A bit of a tree. And now my son is gone. My other is banished. Lord. When we go our own way, it's no way at all. Oh, that God would give us a chance to surrender our hearts in worship. Oh, that the Lord would give us a chance to surrender our pride in repentance. Oh, that the Lord would grant us the opportunity to surrender our sin for his mercy. And here he offers this. Genesis chapter 4, verse 25. Watch. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. 
For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring. Instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. Listen, listen. And at that time, people began to once again call upon the name of the Lord. The story ends with an innocent worshiper losing his life. It begins with an innocent worshiper losing his life, and it ends with a people, with an entire people calling on the name of the Lord. Hear me, God has a plan. The serpent, the way of the serpent will not prevail. The way of the serpent will not prevail. You need to say to yourself right now, the way of the serpent will not prevail. It will not prevail in your life. The way of the serpent will not prevail in your life. The way of the serpent will not prevail in your life. The way of the serpent will not prevail in your children's lives. He will not prevail in the way of your children's lives. He will not prevail in your household. He will not prevail in our church. He will not prevail in our community. He will not ultimately prevail in our world, although it looks like he's doing a mighty fine job. Why? Because there was one who came and crushed and will crush his head. You got to get on this. You got to believe this. You've got to remember this. When you're fighting, when you're fighting, when you're working, when you're striving, remind yourself his, his judgment is already proclaimed. His head is fixed purposely under the heel. And the day is coming, friends, and you will bear witness. The way of the serpent will not prevail. But the way to victory is surrender. The way to victory is surrender. The way of victory. What is it? What is it? What are you holding? What are you holding? What is yours that you don't want to let go? What is your way? What is your idol? What is your thing? God, it has to happen this way or you're not good I gotta have this thing or you haven't provided. That's gotta be taken care of or you're really not a protector. Guys, listen. That's the thing. Really? This started with a grain offering? That's the problem. It started with a grain offering. Let's measure our offering to the Lord. Is it your whole self? Is it your best? Is it surrender? Let's do that now. Father, we come to you needing you. We don't actually have any power in and of ourselves to surrender, God, but you've given us the grace to respond to you. Father, would you help us to lay things down now? We rationalize sin, God, forgive us. We see it as small and we'll take care of it later. We think that it's not hurting anybody else. Oh, but God, how we see, even today, how things grow, how it escalates, how we don't like being told no and not getting what we want. God, we want you. And if that means discomfort, Lord God, help us to accept it. If that means difficulty and pain and being a witness of your grace through hardship, God, we need to receive that. Help us. God, we want to adorn your gospel. But you've told us that your light shines the brightest in the darkness, and so God, help us shine. Lord, light a flame in us that begins with this moment of surrender. Friend, right where you are, you talk with God and you lay it down. Thank you for your mercy, Lord God. We rest in it this morning and we sing this hymn back to you as a song of reflection and declaration of how we see ourselves in light of you. Thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.